0: X-ray. Welcome to The Local, your daily dose of hometown news and democracy. I'm Jefferson Smith from Portland, Oregon. It is Monday, June 22nd. Today, back in the day, June 22nd, 1633, the Holy Office in Rome forced Galileo to recant his view that the sun, not the earth, was the center of the universe. Galileo. As he left the courtroom, he is said to have muttered, All the same, it moves. According to NewScientist.com, the Inquisition's verdict was uncannily similar to cautious statements by modern officials on more recent scientific conclusions, such as predictions about greenhouse warming. The Inquisition ruled that Galileo could not prove beyond doubt that the Earth orbits the Sun, so they could not reinterpret scriptures implying otherwise. In 1992, 359 years later, the Vatican and Pope John Paul II officially declared that Galileo was right. That same year, 1992, conservative New York Times columnist William Sapphire called the head of the Department of Justice, young Attorney General William Barr, the cover-up general for arranging the pardons of six officials involved in Iran-Contra. Today, back in the day, June 22, 1870, Congress created that United States Department of Justice. This is the department currently run by, well, Attorney General Bill Barr. The Department of Justice includes the FBI, the DEA, the U.S. Marshals, like the TV show Justified, the Bureau of Prisons, and the U.S. Attorney's Offices, such as the office led by Chief Prosecutor for the Southern District of New York, who was engaged in Trump-related investigations and was just removed by Donald Trump and Attorney General Bill Barr. I'm out in the woods. I have much less of an idea of what's going on. So for today's Quick Six, here's Emily Galloway.
1: First up, it's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. I am Emily Gilliland in for Jefferson Smith. Oregon lawmakers plan to return to Salem on Wednesday. The special legislative session will focus on passing police accountability laws and measures to respond to the pandemic. In Oregon, special sessions typically last just one or two days, and that's after the governor and legislative leaders agree ahead of time on what legislation they will vote on. On Friday, legislative leaders publicly released a list of 13 proposed bills. A few more proposals are expected later today. The public can watch hearings on the proposed bills online at 3.30 p.m. today, that's Monday, and 9.30 a.m. Tuesday on the legislature's website. There are also instructions on the website for how to submit testimony on the proposals. Here's a short list of some police reform policies that lawmakers will be discussing making it more difficult for arbitrators to overturn discipline of law enforcement officers, creating a statewide database of police officials who have been disciplined, putting the Oregon Attorney General in charge of of use-of-force investigations, requiring law enforcement officers to intervene and report when colleagues use unreasonable force under so-called duty-to-intervene policies, and demilitarizing the police by prohibiting or limiting use of certain equipment, For example, banning officers from using chokeholds. Here's your daily dose of data. On Sunday, Oregon saw 190 new confirmed and presumptive cases of COVID-19, bringing the state's total to 6,937 cases. The death rate remains steady with one confirmed COVID-19 death Sunday. That brings the state's total to 190 deaths. The bulk of Sunday's new diagnoses were in the Portland metro area, 84 new known cases in Multnomah County, 22 in Washington County, and 12 in Clackamas County. There were also 34 in Umatilla County. Union County health officials reported three new cases. That county now has 258 COVID-19 diagnoses. The bulk are from an outbreak linked with Lighthouse Pentecostal Church in Island City. A report out Friday from the Oregon Health Authority confirmed that COVID-19 is transmitting at higher rates statewide. The weekly share of Oregonians testing positive has more than doubled since May 15th when the state started reopening. A positive test result rate, which stood at 1.6% of those tested in the week May 16th to the 22nd, has climbed to 4.1% for the week ending Friday. For some context, new cases in the past seven days, totaling 1,306, have accounted for 19% of all coronavirus cases in Oregon. Oregon. Starting on Wednesday, Governor Brown is requiring Oregonians in seven counties to wear masks while in indoor public spaces. Those counties are Multnomah, Washington, Clackamas, Hood River, Lincoln, Marion, and Polk counties. Brown has said if the number of patients hospitalized spikes too quickly, she will be forced to roll back the state's reopening. As of Friday, 154 people were hospitalized with suspected or confirmed cases of COVID-19 across the state. Coronavirus has led to the hospitalization of 946 people in Oregon over the course of the pandemic. The most recent data from Washington's Department of Health show 28,225 confirmed coronavirus cases in the state. Washington has seen 1,265 related deaths. Oregon's minimum wage will rise again on July 1st even as the number of jobs that pay the minimum continues to decline due to the pandemic. The minimum wage will increase by $0.75 to $13.25 per hour inside the Portland boundary, $11.50 per hour in the non-urban counties, and $12 in other areas of the state. Just 6.6% of all Oregon jobs pay the minimum wage, according to the latest data from the Oregon Employment Department. That's down from 7.3% a year earlier. Washington has the highest statewide minimum wage in the nation at $13.50 an hour, but many cities have higher minimums. Seattle's is $15.45, and San Francisco, New York, Washington, D.C., and Chicago have all set a $15 hourly minimum wage. The federal minimum wage, it remains at $7.25. Per hour. The Portland Police Union and city have reached a tentative agreement to extend the police contract for one year, with a 2.9% cost of living adjustment that won't kick in until June 30, 2021. The agreement also calls for the union to allow the Portland Street Response Pilot Program to proceed with up to six teams in the city and not be limited, as initially planned, to the Lentz neighborhood. The union, however, will retain rights over any extension of the street response program beyond the pilot, the agreement says. Here's how the pilot project will work. It plans to pair a fire bureau emergency medical technician with a mental health worker. The payers will respond to certain 911 calls in an effort to reduce police encounters with homeless people. The contract extension will go to members of the Portland Police Association for a vote this week. Electronic voting will start today, Monday, and last through Thursday. The agreement comes as the City Council last week cut a total of $27 million from the Portland Police Bureau, leaving a $229.3 million budget for the next fiscal year, and eliminating school resource officers, the gun violence reduction team, and pulling officers from the transit division. Two Washington counties have declared racism as a public health crisis. Last week, the Board of Health Departments in both King and Pierce Counties in Washington State declared racism a public health crisis. The declaration by the health departments means more resources for community organizations to address racial biases. In a statement, King County health officials said, quote, Racism harms every person in our society and is the root cause of poverty and economic inequality. Pierce County health officials said, quote, board members also recognize racism is interwoven into the social, economic, and and environmental factors that make us healthy and affect some in our communities, especially Black and African Americans more than others. The counties join governments across the country in recognizing racism as a public health crisis and taking steps towards racial equity. Tassels turned in Eugene. The University of Oregon held a virtual graduation ceremony over the weekend. Duck alumni showed up in force to help graduate the class of 2020. Journalist Ann Curry, former quarterback Marcus Mariota, and track and field world record holder Ashton Eaton were among the alumni who showed up for the new graduates. Nike founder Phil Knight received an honorary doctorate from his alma mater. WNBA first-round pick and Duck class of 2020, Sabrina Inescu, provided an inspirational keynote speech. And Student Body President Sabina Pierre had this to say.
2: We can no longer stand for this long-enduring prejudice that has been perpetuated in our nation. Amber Rose Isaac, Kira Johnson, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Ahmad Avery, are just a few of the names we have lost to these flawed systems. It all starts within our communities. I'm asking for the support of communities, not only at this institution, but across the world to rise up in this valuable fight against racial discrimination. Sign the petitions, use your platforms, match up and donate. Reach out to those around you and educate yourself, but don't stay stagnant in this ever-changing world. Lastly, treat others the way you want to be treated. This is something many of us have instilled in us since we first started this educational journey. You may have all the money, success, and accolades in the world. But as someone once said, beauty is not in the face, beauty is within the heart. Simply put, be kind to one another.
1: Congratulations, Duck grads. And that's today's Quick Six Local Rundown. And now, Alex Zelensky, news editor of the Portland Mercury. Alex has insights on Portland's recent protests and the vote on the Portland city budget.
0: Good morning, everybody. It is time to point an x-ray at the city. With Alex Zelensky at
1: Portland Mercury.
0: How you doing, Alex? You've been hanging out with protesters. Have you gotten tested for COVID-19?
3: <laughs> I haven't. Um, I don't know if you've heard, but it's very hard to get tested still. <laughs> So I have no idea. Isn't but, it ridiculous? Um, it's
0: so, it's the, the natural response to the national response to this thing is still like we're months in. The reason for the the shutdown, by the way, the reason for is so that there could be time. So the government should have the federal government could have time to put together its response, have a plan, get this stuff together. Instead, it's just been a time to, I don't know, say that we don't need to worry about it.
3: Right. Right. And now we're kind of reopening again. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if I have COVID, but I'm feeling OK.
0: Portland City Council did just approve a 3% reduction in the police bureau. That means 97% of it didn't get reduced. What did you witness in the political dynamics and in the testimony? You've been covering this pretty close.
3: Yeah, um, it's definitely a, a very dynamic budget season. Um, you know, this started, the budget was proposed um, in, I guess, February, or early March, the all-time kind of um High, the city was doing really well. Revenue was doing really well. There weren't going to be any cuts really being made to um, most of the budget aside from just normal, you know, little tweaks. And then the coronavirus came in, cut revenue by, you know, an estimated $75 million, I think, to the city, um, forcing the, the mayor to, to, to um, mandate that all bureaus make a 5.6% cut uh, just across the board. And then, um, and then these, then uh, George Floyd was killed. These protests kind of sparked, and people really started demanding more significant cuts to our police bureau, um, as they have in, in cities across the country, to different police bureaus, and um, and so with that came another set of cuts, um, mostly proposed by Commissioner Joanne Hardesty, um, who has been traditionally you entered, you know, City Council as a police. Um, with a mission to, to cut and reduce the police bureau, and so a lot of uh, the proposals that she made actually last year during the budget session that were pretty much ignored um, have now been, you know, easily passed and supported by a ton of folks in City Council just because, uh, because of the moment I think, and those those include getting rid of the gang or the gun violence reduction team, um, uh, the school resource officers, uh, you know, police on, on public schools campuses and transit police, at least ones that are um, from the Portland Police Bureau. And those are all kind of historically, uh, all all programs that historically um, disproportionately impact people of color and minorities. Um, But, you know, on top of that, I think a lot of members of the public wanted city council to go a lot further farther with kind of their cuts. Why didn't they?
0: Two weeks ago, I actually asked Chloe on social media and she replied, uh, asked her if they should consider delaying the budget vote so they had time to wrestle with what the best, smartest, biggest reforms they could muster might be. She said, no, 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 we got to get the budget done. It is interesting to me after that, then she ended up subsequently voting no why do you think that joanne hardesty leading the charge with amanda fritz and ted wheeler following her lead why do you think they didn't go further
3: i mean first to kind of address the delay of it i think um there are some technical things that commissioner hardesty brought up about delaying the budget it would, you know kind of ruin the city's credit and there'd be some auditing issues and um so to delay that conversation would be problematic. I I also think, at least, so I can't read the minds of kind of, you know, Joanne Hardesty and, and the folks who supported her, but I think judging what she said, there hasn't, she really wanted to see more detailed analysis of where bigger cuts would be coming from. Um, you know, the the groups of color that have been really leading the call for a um, $50 million, uh, cut to the Portland Police Bureau's kind of proposed um a budget that was proposed you know earlier this year uh that uh you know th- they hadn't really released the details like this is where that cut's going to come from this is where a, a, a piece of that cut's going to come from you know and that's a big big chunk and I think um you know just like any uh any kind of bureaucratic system uh city council needed a, a breakdown line item a breakdown of where those dollars would be coming before making that cut um which you know I think points to the, the, at least the public, um, an issue that the public has with the way that the democratic system works right now. It's not these sweeping changes. It's, it's pretty standard incremental changes that, um, you know, we'll see how they play out over time. They are really huge. These three these three units being cut is, is significant. It'll be interesting to see where those officers um, who are assigned to those units are going to end up and if their work is going to be at all kind of similar, just under a different name, Um, But, yeah, there is something to be said for a lot of the public demanding more right now and thinking that this is a moment where uh, city officials can go further and can be bolder and won't risk, um, you know, maybe the, the risks that they were facing if they proposed these even just a few months
0: ago. It still does seem to me that through some continuing resolution, so they could have passed a tentative budget and then appointed a group to evaluate. You know, Loretta Smith was calling for a 20% reduction in the police budget. It seems that the, I don't call it a cop out, but it seems that there could have been things that were done to lay a market out there, uh, lay a marker out there saying, we are going to make major change. We're not just going to consider it maybe someday, but we are going to do it. That's going to be manifest. In the budget right now, Minneapolis did its thing of saying that. I mean, they didn't, you know, just fire a police officer, but they manifested their intent to uh, to dismantle the police bureau as it stood. Did uh, has Commissioner Hardasy given any further indication on her appetite to do deeper structural change beyond the uh, changing of those three units?
3: Um, yeah, she, I mean, along with those cuts, she said that in this upcoming, it, the budget will now include kind of, or at least the Bureau will start considering new ways to do training for police officers that are more transparent. Um, there's going to be, th- there's a lot of talk, okay, in the next few months, you're going to see a lot of changes that the council is going to bring up, but, but we're not, we're not really hearing exactly what those are yet. I mean, to be fair, there hasn't been a ton of time to hammer it out, but there also, like you said, there hasn't been a promise of a, you know, we're going to have this, this committee figure out how we can really make some radical changes. Um, it is, I mean, all of the changes that were made have been proposed before, um, whether that's by Commissioner Hardesty and, and been ignored, but none of them none of them were, were brand new ideas um, really coming from City Council. And that's and interesting, that's, right? Yeah, and I think that's what people really demanded um, of this moment. Uh, and we're really feeling like people were, or at least the elected officials were kind of just giving them lip service to fit the moment without going that step further. Yeah, the critique
0: oh. was that they were taking proposals they had on the shelf and saying, hey, we've got these proposals, let's do these. And yeah, the, them up. And the hundreds of people who were testifying were saying, no, this is a new thing, we're asking for right. some new stuff.
3: Right. Yeah, there did seem to be a kind of uh, communication breakdown between the hundreds of, <laughs> of, of testimony providers, members of the public, who testified before city council saying, hey, we want this huge change and then city council being like we hear you so here's what you get it's not the same um which is you know understandably frustrating but also you know at the same time who knows what's going on behind the scenes um i do think it was really hard to get everyone on board with even just these cuts for commissioner hardesty i think she she did had to kind of push um and make some some deals to get um, the Mayor and, and Commissioner Fritz on board. so you know there's we can't see that from the outside perspective. There, but there is labor going on behind the scenes to even get to this point which I think should be acknowledged.
0: Any light that you can shed on the dynamic between Joanne Hardesty and Mayor Ted Wheeler? I talked to a well-placed uh, source, I'll call them a friend within city government who acknowledged real surprise about how close they have become. In recent mm-hmm. weeks
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's Good to point out that they've been close for A while, it hasn't necessarily just been Recent weeks, I mean, you, you recall When she, the first time she was part of the Budget talks in 2018, I think she Called him, or 2019, she called him Mayor What's his face, and, you know There was some very obvious um, Dislike between the Two, but over time and conversations I've had with both of their offices um, I think they've they found a really smart, honestly, a smart way to, um, to draw, to find unity between their very different kind of follower groups um, by banding together. Um, when they show up to, you know, a Portland Business Alliance um, meeting and Ted Wheeler says, hey, this is Joanne Hardesty, I support whatever she does. Um, it's gonna move that group to the farther to the left. If, if they show up to a protest and Joanne Hard is there with Ted Wheeler and she says, Hey, trust this guy, it's gonna move the, you know, their support a little bit more uh, to the right. And so I, I think it's a really smart political move. I think that partnership we I mean just as like, you know, human beings, they've become more much more friendly with each other. Um, I think they're finding a way to to use uh, their political followers and their supporters to gain more traction on um, on issues that traditionally divide the city, which you know I think is smart politics.
0: Alex Zelensky, this was exactly what I needed this morning. Thank you so much <laughs> for spending time with us.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me on. Have a good
0: one. And thanks for going out there and risking maybe not life and limb, but at least some measure of comfort on a regular basis.
1: Yeah, no problem. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. Western State Center's mission is to connect and build the power of community organizations to challenge and transform individuals, organizations, and systems to achieve racial, gender, and economic justice. Executive Director Eric Ward stopped in during our Juneteenth teach-in to talk with Carol Collimore and Jeff Selby about the arc towards justice and the work ahead. You can find out more about Western State Center and their many educational resources at westernstatescenter.org.
4: Good morning, Mr. Ward. How are you? Hey, Carol and Jeff. How are you this morning?
2: Better now.
4: Yeah. How are
2: you? You know,
4: it's, uh, it's, it's Judy, And, uh, you know, I get to take over the airwaves a little bit. And yes. Try to be half as funny as you two. <laughs> you know? So, Eric, um, you've been busy. You're doing a lot. It's been, it's been busy. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, but the truth is, is you know we are facing kind of a, a, a moment again, right? And mm-hmm. it's a global one. It's not just our community. We have this global pandemic that's happening. We are in a world recession. Uh, you know, there are millions of Americans out of work. I, I think uh, you know our numbers are inching up to. 40 million Americans who have lost their jobs just in in the last four months. Uh, you have white nationalists who, uh, as we um, tried to warn people, are uh, now committing acts of, of armed violence and, and other forms of, of terror. Uh, but you know the the rising sun, you know once once again is um, black community leadership, right and. Black national networks who have really risen up to the challenge and, and shifted things so much that uh, I think there's good news to, to report, right? I mean, we're looking at this uh, Supreme Court uh, outcomes that came from uh, uh, around banning LGBTQ discrimination in employment, right? That uh, immigrant youth uh, without documentation uh at, at least have you know some forms of protection uh, uh uh right now, but you know yet yet still right we have to hold black people cannot stop America from killing us. We've still got some ways to go uh, there's lots of things unfolding
0: absolutely
3: eric what's western state's uh goal right now during pandemic and during protest um for folks
0: yeah
4: so you know our 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 role is is focused on uh kind of three areas right now right we we still think this is a three-sided struggle right we think uh we don't equate the white nationalist movement with uh white supremacist systems and and uh we think we have to be equipped to take on uh both of them this this you know this white nationalist social movement that's Grounded in uh, exclusion and uh, uh, violence, right, and we have to take on this system of, of, of white supremacy, right, that uh, impacts our lives, right, creates systems of of, of disparity, right, uh, uh, the 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 system that wants to to uh, control and and exploit people of color, but particularly black and indigenous. Uh, peoples. And so uh, it's a two, you know, we, we have uh, two opponents on the field. Um, and uh, we often act like we only have uh, one other opponent on the field. So we do a lot of work pushing um, our own movements, right, pushing government, pushing communities uh, uh, to take on both, right? We, we don't win, uh, without taking on both, and we don't win by ignoring one or, or pretending one is more important than the other. So we've been doing that. Of course, we are, you know, continuing to, to bring pressure on uh, governments that that utilize uh, state violence uh, against uh, protesters or, or are not protecting uh, protesters from uh, violent vigilantes uh, and paramilitary formations. Right, and and the third is is you know we spend uh, as you can imagine um, a, a lot of time working with communities, working with movements and, and organizations, helping them to develop strategies to apply in the field. That includes you know training, that includes uh, strengthening their networks, uh, that includes you know direct organizational and, and capacity support uh, where we can provide it. Uh, we are trying to hold folks accountable. We are, you know, we are, um, committed to holding accountable elected officials who, um, uh, who flirt or embrace, right. Anti-democratic and authoritarian ideas, right. We are holding folks to, uh, to the fire on that. Uh, but, but we're also looking at things and, and, and understanding that there are things to celebrate. Uh, these changes are, are happening. People are leaning in, as I said, right. I like to critique elected officials, right. I want to acknowledge, you know, Jeff Merkley, Senator Jeff Merkley and Senator Ron Wyden, who have given up right their uh, speech time at at the democratic convention, right. To allow black voices to, to speak. Right? I, I would hope that all non-black congressional um, um, members, if, if they have any of that time, that they do the same. I, I think it is a, a huge step. Uh, I know others have done it as well in other places in the country. But, you know, we want to mostly what I, what I would say, Carol and Jeff, is mm-hmm. like uh, we think we are seeing the, the end of one age and the beginning of another, right and uh we are in a moment where we kind of walk in between uh two worlds and this old age really wasn't uh, uh uh so great it was better than the age before it that's for sure uh but we still have a little bit to go and so you know the the future is unwritten uh folks know joe strummer from the clash mm-hmm. right a famous uh a saying and uh we plan on helping folks uh write that future we are very lucky we, f- we should feel very blessed as horrifying as this is uh, we should be humble right that we are the generation right that sits between two ages and that we get to define how the next age happens how it begins and so what i say is is we're helping people sharpen their pins because we want them to make history this is a historic moment and if you are not picking up your game and trying to do something that makes history, that strengthens community, that builds power and changes the rules of the game, right, you are missing your moment right now, right? This is, this is you are right here on stage and the entire universe is watching, right? Make it count and make it count by bringing in inclusion, right, through courageous conversation. Uh, but let's put the system of white supremacy to bed and let's not put it to bed two generations from now. Let's put it to bed. Now. I I think of the young daughter of George Floyd, who was at uh, a protest in Minneapolis and she was sitting on the shoulders of, um, I think it was a family member or family friend. And she's, she's a young, she's young, right? She's very young. And, um, She's just looking around at the crowd, and on the video, she says, you know, my dad changed the world. And you know what? George Floyd did change the world, and that girl never gets her father back. She never gets her father back. We can rebuild windows. We can rebuild businesses, but we cannot give that young girl her her father back. So you know what we can do? We can make sure, right, that everyone understands she doesn't only deserve a better life, she deserves a better world. And we have to be the ones to give it to her. And that should be our commitment and that should be our measure right now. And so black, black, black lives matters. I wanna thank every black activist who is out there educating folks raising them up, training folks, speaking out. I want to thank all the allies out there who are out there doing their thing. I don't want any of us to forget about the indigenous peoples of this land and the promises that uh, we owe them. And I don't care if you are a 72-year-old white male veteran in eastern Oregon struggling for a job or a 16-year-old trans Latina woman on the streets of Portland also looking for a job. You both have the right to live, love, and work free from fear. Right? And there are black folks who are trying to get you both free. So stop struggling with them and let them pull us up to the mountaintop and into the promised land. Let's do this. We can do this. Look, what
3: y'all just heard right there is called a word Eric Ward we don't really have anything else to add except for that we love you we hear you we see you we will do what you say I'm not gonna cry on the radio thank you for that that's what we
0: needed today
4: Eric I love you yeah we love you so much we love you too Thank you so much, Eric.
0: Thank you for listening to The Local, your hometown, in about 30 minutes. If you got story ideas, organization who needs shouts out, send us an email at thelocal at xray.fm. It's a good time to vote, by the way, in the Willamette Week Reader's Poll. You could vote for X-Ray as the best radio station if you so chose. You can also rate and review the podcast and share it with folks. Let's stick together while we're apart. And thank you, democracy. Talk to you tomorrow. X-Ray.